Good morning. Last week when Jeff began, he said, here I am. <laughs> I thought that was great, but I also thought it wouldn't really work for me as much as, as for him. But I'm Richard Maservi. I serve on the pastoral staff. We have been in the book of 1 Corinthians. You should know the verse by now. We've been over it. This will be the fourth and final time during the uh, preaching sabbatical of Pastor Sean, so he'll be back next week. But 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. We began this series with the, with the wisdom of God. I, I thought of this, um, this a couple weeks ago. I mean, there's an old joke. I've, I've told it so many times, I can't remember where all I've told it. So if you've heard it before, just pretend like it's really great. Uh, and, and you'll be thinking, you know, that wasn't really that good a joke that it should uh, be repeated. But... Um, Stories told of the preacher that took his watch off and, you know, put it down on the podium so it could be seen. And uh, the boy says to his father, what does that mean? And the dad says, absolutely nothing. <laughs> oh, so you haven't heard it before. <laughs> but I was thinking of this, and, and a couple of weeks ago, there was a big debate in, the, in all the papers and the news about the debt ceiling. And I thought to myself, what does the debt ceiling mean? Absolutely nothing, <laughs> exactly. And that made me think, because I had been studying in the book of Proverbs, that there's a, a Proverb 22.7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. That there's a, we, we began with the wisdom of God and the call of God to receive wisdom in the book of Proverbs and how the, the book of Proverbs applied the wisdom of God into everyday life of marriage and family and speech and work and uh, uh, all the things that go into life, including finances. And this is one of them. Unrestrained borrowing leads to slavery. Now, under that is a premise. And that premise is that God, the true God, values and promotes freedom. He doesn't want people to be enslaved. And that's, uh, that's the theme of the, the fourth word in this series in 1 Corinthians. The wisdom of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, and today, the redemption of God. It's, it's not an accident that it that the abolition movie movement was fueled by the fervor of the evangelical church. It is not a coincidence that the 12-step program that has set so many people free from alcoholism and drug, drug addiction came out of a Christian movement. There's something in the DNA of the believer that, that strives for freedom and releasing from captivity. And the reason it's in our DNA is because it's in our Father's DNA. That He sets people free. He doesn't keep them in bondage. When I was, uh, well, uh, 
down here they call it a rising ninth grader, <laughs> which means going into ninth grade, I found out after we moved down here. Uh, our, our family was traveling and we were in London and we were taking in the sights, we're tourists, and there were arcades along the street. And this is way back, way, way, way back. And um, I mean, long before you would see such a thing around here. But these little arcades that you could go into, anybody could go into, had slot machines in them. And, um, you know, we, were, we had money, and I put money into the slot machine, and um, it kept it. <laughs> and I thought, where's the fun in this? <laughs> this is, I mean, I was too cheap to try again. I, I, I said, this is, I mean, it doesn't even play anything. You don't even get to do anything. It just takes the money. But uh, looking back, I see this is a gracious gift of God that I was set free from a gambling addiction when I was uh, 14 years old. And other people are not that free. They're not that, uh, um, what's the word? <laughs> They're not that um, blessed that they could be uh, set free at an early age. We live in a time when gambling addiction destroys houses. It always upsets me when the government earns money on lotteries preying on the weakness of people that maybe cannot afford to give that money. But people that lose their houses and families because they're addicted to gambling. Drugs and alcohol, you, we, we all know the ravages that they, uh, they do in uh, family life and in society. Today, it's more video games for people. Their minds and bodies are, are so attuned to the video that they can't break free. And the, what started me thinking this path was a book I just read on the healing church by Sam Black. And it's a book devoted to setting people free from pornography. That there is a, a movement of images that when, when I was young, you would never hear about these things unless someone went to you know, a, 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 a dark place in town and found them. And now, now children as young as 8, 9, 10, and 11 can see on their phones images that they have no business seeing and no one else has a business seeing as well. And the, the thing that frightened me was uh, what Sam Black said was that there are chemical reactions in the brain and there are neural pathways that are formed when people see these kinds of images that addict them in such a way they can't break free. And that's where the wisdom of God, again in Proverbs, the evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them, the cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they are led astray by their great folly and will die. The problem with sin is that it enslaves us. It ensnares us. We, we try to do something that will uh, bring pleasure, and instead it brings uh, bondage. And I think it's a satanic attack on our nation, on our culture, on our families, on our children. And the power of 
of addiction is, is rampant. And the thing that really bothered me most about Sam Black's book was he was not talking about the world. He was talking about the church. And he wasn't talking about just men in the church. He was talking about men and women in the church that have been enslaved and in bondage. And they can't break free. There's a stronghold that takes place when we repeat the same sin and thought over and over and over again. And it's not just the, the obvious sins and addictions. They're the things that go deep down into our hearts in such a way that our personality is formed. That bitterness that grows, we can't get free of and we can't even see who we are without it. The anger, the greed, the apathy, the animosity, the selfishness, the self-centeredness, the pride, all of these things that the Bible talks about get down into the heart and are repeated over and over and over again until it's a stronghold that we can't break free of. And we hear a sermon about it and we say, I should do better, but then we don't do better and we can't do better because we're enslaved. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. We think it's going to bring freedom, enjoyment, but it's going to bring slavery. And this brings us to today's word of the day, redemption. That this series on the box of life, beginning with God's wisdom, leading to his righteousness, and then his holiness, is really all tied up in his redemption. That this is the, the fundamental work that God has been doing in this fallen world. It is central and foundational to both the Old Testament and the New. So if you'll uh, bear with me, I'll read a section from Exodus chapter 6. If you took one of the guest Bibles in the back, it's on page 51. Exodus 6.1, this is the New Living Translation. Then the Lord told Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name Yahweh to them, and I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan where they are living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and with great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God.
God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. And I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. I am the Lord who will redeem you, set you free from Egyptian bondage. Just like if I could just pause on a, I, I know we hate this in a sermon, but there are, there are three elements <laughs> to redemption that, um, that, you know, there's a, a host of words in the Bible for redemption, and, but they, and they don't all emphasize the, the same words, but there's three main ideas in the concept. And first of all, there's a relationship. There are the three R's, in case you do take notes. The three R's of redemption. There's a relationship. You've heard of the kinsman redeemer, right? The family member who was charged had the duty of restoring the integrity of a family. So if someone in the family found himself in servitude because of debt, they, they could sell themselves in, into servitude in order to pay off the debt. That kinsman, the relative, would set him free by buying him back, paying off the debt. If they mortgaged their home, the, the, the redeemer would pay the debt so they could get their, their property back. So the, the first is the, is the relationship. And you saw in the text I read that God said, I remember my covenant with your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I hear the groaning of my people because I have a covenant relationship with them and I'm going to come down and set them free from Egyptian bondage. And second is the ransom. So there's the relationship and then there's the ransom. The payment price to set someone free. He's in servitude. I pay the debt. He's set free. It can, be, it can be even more significant. The substitute of something to redeem an animal that should be given to God, I can redeem it with a substitute. You know, on the night of the Passover, the nation of Israel sacrificed lambs, put the blood on their household. So when the angel of death came through to destroy the firstborn of Egypt, the firstborn of Israel were preserved because there was blood shed for them. There was a substitute sacrifice and they were set free because of it. Even the very power of God can be seen as the ransom price to set people free. And then finally, there's the result, the, the release from captivity. That uh, the nation of Israel was in bondage, now they're free. The, uh, the debtor uh, was in debt until he paid it off, but now he's free because the debt has been, been paid. And so these, this is the element. And they in Israel, what we've seen, the deliverance from uh, Egyptian bondage points to a far worse bondage and a far greater redemption. And that's the bondage uh, to sin, to Satan, and to death. And the deliverance paid for by our Redeemer through his own blood, the blood of Christ. So they, here in the New Testament, we find the same thing, that there is a relationship that here, uh, Christ Jesus, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, was not ashamed to call us brothers. 
that he identified with people. He became a man. He had a relationship with us, and therefore he paid the ransom price for us. The ransom in the New Testament is everywhere. The blood of Christ shed as a substitute for sinners. He said himself in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom or a payment price for many. 1 Peter 1.18, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere silver or gold. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless spotless lamb. Ephesians 1, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. 1 Timothy 2, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. That, now this, if you've been in the church for any time, this is nothing new. We are well-schooled in the knowledge that Christ was our substitute, that he paid the price for our sin, that he took the punishment that, des that we deserved on himself, that he was our substitute, and he uh, took away the guilt and the shame and the judgment for, for sin. But there's more that he did. As as foundational, as central, and as fabulous as that is. That's not all he did on the cross. For the third part of redemption, he had the relationship, he had the ransom paid, but the third part is the release from captivity. That when Christ died on the cross, he didn't just pay for my guilt, he set me free. He set me free from sin and death and even uh, the devil him, himself. So the question I go back when I began, I'm bound in a, a habit of gambling so that my house is, is remortgaged over and over. I'm bound by drugs and alcohol and I've tried to, to get free of them. I've, I've been addicted to video games or some other entertainment. I, 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 I look at porn, pornographic literature and videos every day. Can I get free? Can I be set free? Because nothing has worked as try as hard as I try? And the answer is yes. Yes. Jesus sets people free. And not just free from the things that everybody uh, frowns on, but that inner jealousy, that inner animosity, that apathy, the laziness, all the things that go into what it's like to be a fallen human being, those we can be set free of as well, that he delivers people from bondage. Now, in the, in the Western church, we have emphasized the, the satisfaction view of the atonement. That is, that Jesus was the substitute that satisfied the wrath of God, and we are right before him. 
we looked at this in the, in the, the word on righteousness, that we are made right with God and, and uh, his righteousness is imputed to us. But in the Eastern church, there's an additional view. That is, when Christ died on the cross, he not only paid for my guilt and the penalty for my sin, he was a conqueror, a victorious one that overcame sin and death and the devil and, and the things that, the, the evil powers that enslave people. He sets people free because of his work on the cross. And we, I mean, we sing this, right? He breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. But do we believe this? We, we sing, he breaks the power of canceled sin, but do we believe, uh, we, I, I know we believe that he cancels it, but do we believe that he breaks the power of it? That's what, Paul, that's what redemption is. It's more than just forgiveness. It's the power of God. The, the guilty needs forgiveness. The enemy of God needs reconciliation. The estranged from God needs acceptance. But the slave needs freedom, needs to be set free, and there's cap captivity removed. So Jesus, again, in John 8, so if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. That's the bottom line of redemption. If the Son sets us free, we are truly free. John Stott quotes uh, an older commentary. Our redemption is a work at once of price and of power, of propitiation and of conquest. On the cross was the purchase made, and on the cross was the victory gained. The blood which wipes out the sentence against us there was shed. And the death which was the death blow of Satan's kingdom was there endured. There is a victory over sin and bondage in the work of Christ on the cross. No less than the nation of Israel being set free from Egyptian slavery. He is the conqueror over sin. I don't know if we sing it here, but in, in our old church, we used to sing this chorus, Jesus breaks every fetter. Jesus breaks every fetter. Jesus breaks every fetter. And he sets me free. He sets me free through the work that he has on the cross. He sets me free, free for uh, by the power that was unleashed on the cross. So then I ask, is this an instantaneous work? <laughs> that, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, that uh, Jesus died for my sins, but also to set me free from them. Does it happen instantaneously? And I would say, Yes and no. <laughs> yes, sometimes, but sometimes no. Sometimes there is an immediate, complete liberation from whatever it is that was holding you. 
But other times, it takes, it, it takes uh, time and a labor. Again, uh, Sam Black, in his book, The Healing Church, working with people enslaved to pornography, found that the, the way they came out was to find like people in a church setting, a safe setting where they could actually say what they were really facing and struggling. That they could tell the truth about who they were and find the grace of God revealed to them through the people of God. That we need Jesus. But sometimes we need Jesus through his people. There was a, one of my all-time favorite movies, which I saw a long, long, long time ago. It was so long ago I saw it on broadcast TV, <laughs> which we don't even have anymore. And it was so long ago they cleaned up the language. So I didn't even realize what the language was until I saw it like years later on the stream. I thought, ouch. And I didn't realize that my favorite movie <laughs> had this language in it. But it was my favorite movie was My Cousin Vinny. And, and in, this, in this movie, this uh, young guy becomes a lawyer and he can just talk his way out of, in, out of anything. And he has his first case, which is his cousin, uh, charged with murder in Georgia. He's from New York, so this, you can tell it's not going to go well. <laughs> and, um, but he wins the case. But he didn't know that his fiancée went behind his back to get help. And he was so mad when he found out. She said, oh, horrors. How can anything be worse? You become a big-name lawyer. You win all your cases, but you can't do it yourself. You have to get help. You know, this, is, this is our attitude sometimes, isn't it? I can't get free. I hear the sermon. I put it into practice, but I'm still bound. But I want to do it myself. I don't want to tell anybody about it. So, now, hear me out. What if... What if in order to experience the life-giving, redemptive freedom in Christ, I had to be embarrassed by telling people who I really am? What if in order to be set free from the stronghold that binds me, I, I had to give up my self-sufficiency? I had to humble my pride. What if, what if, in order to receive the freedom that Christ paid for on the cross, he had to go to the cross for me, but also had to take me to the cross in him? What if the Apostle Paul was right when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What if, what if it takes humbling ourselves before him in order to receive the freedom that he paid for? And what if he wants to give that freedom through other believers 
that walk along with us. So Sam Black says everybody needs accountability partners, but he doesn't call them accountability partners. He calls them allies in the struggle. People that will join with me, encourage me when I'm discouraged, uh, correct me when I'm wrong, remind me when I forget, and bring me back when I stray. That's the kind of ally I want in the struggle, and that's the kind that God will work through in order to set people free. And then he receives all the glory, but sometimes when we give him all the glory, it's really, but I did this and I did that. And in that case, it would be he gets all the glory and the church of Jesus Christ delivered me and brought me out of darkness into, into light. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul writes, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Which raises a question. Is it just another slavery? <laughs> right? You deliver the nation of Israel from Pharaoh, and then you're going to be the, the new tyrant. You know, the, what's the, the new boss? Same as the old boss. Or... You've saved me from sin, but now I'm enslaved to, to God. Uh, again, John Stott says, we, we have no business to become slaves of anybody or anything else. We've been bought by Christ. Once we were slaves of sin, now we're slaves of Christ. And his service is the true freedom. The true freedom is not absolute independence. The true freedom is to be able to serve our God and King the way he wants. It's to be able to live according to the design and purpose of God. It's the freedom to do right instead of just wrong. It's the freedom not only to be declared righteous, but to become Righteous, Not only to be set apart as holy in position, but to be set apart as holy in lifestyle. It's not only the freedom from the penalty of sin, but from the power and effects. Again, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. This is, this is what God wants us to know. That we, we think of something as pleasure. He sees it as a prison. We, we look at it as entertainment. He sees it as entrapment. We enjoy the sensuality. He sees it as servitude. We, we delight in the things of the world, which he sees as death. We experiment, we dabble, we try it out, and before you know it, we're entrapped, but he sets us free. The solution is more Jesus. And I wonder sometimes, because I, I, know, I know what it's like 
to come to faith, you know, as an adult and start out with great hopes. <laughs> and then life, life, life <laughs> begins to weigh down. And I know what it's like to be disappointed by God not doing what I thought he should do. Not, not accomplishing what he, he should have done. And I know how a root of bitterness can grow and a, a, a dissatisfaction with, with him and, and his ways. And I, I know what it's like to wonder, does he still Will he still set me free? The one that wanders and strays, does he still? I know that you can preach this to the unconverted and say you can come to Jesus and be set free. He'll redeem you and, and uh, break the power and bring you in. I, I know that that's true. But what about the one that has drifted off? Is he still their redeemer? And the answer is, Yes. I'm reminded of the, the story in, in the Bible of Hosea. And you remember Hosea the prophet. God told him, take for yourself a wife, Gomer. And he does. He takes her for a wife and then finds out that she is, she's unfaithful. And she goes, she leaves home and goes after other lovers. And it's a picture of the nation of Israel redeemed out of Egyptian slavery by the true God to serve him, enter into a promised land with all the blessings that he promised and gave them that they would have rest and each man would sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree. He would be secure from all enemies and their prosperity would, would fill them as long as they served God. But they didn't. They went off and searched after idols and worshipped them and became enslaved by them and Hosea's wife did the same thing. And God said of Israel, I will allure her, I will woo her, I will draw her back. That this is the God that goes searching for the one that's lost. Whether we were lost all along or we became lost after we started this path, we're still the one that this good shepherd leaves 99 to go and search. There, we're the one that the father would rejoice that my son who was dead has now come back home. This is the one that he would draw back into his presence. In chapter 3 of Hosea, he says to the prophet, go love a woman again. Go love this woman. That that's the heart of God the Redeemer is to go and find the people that are bound uh, through their own doing, bound to draw them back. And Hosea said, so I bought her. That here she had gone so far that she ended up in slavery and debt. But he's the kinsman that would come to restore her, to release her, to pay her debt and bring her back. That's the kind of God that we serve. He searches for the one that is lost and bound. Uh, it's an old hymn by William Gadsby. 
uh, on the sprinkling of the blood. And then it, the, the, the climax is all her debts, this is Hosea, this would be Hosea's word, all her debts were cast on me and she must and shall go free. That's the word of God to the people that are in bondage, whether in the church or out of the church. All their debts were cast on me. She must and shall go free. She must be redeemed. She must be restored. Her debts have already been paid for, and if she'll just come and receive, she can be set free as, uh, as Gomer, Hosea's wife. The book, of, the book of Leviticus tells of the life of, of Israel in the promised land. And there was one celebration they did every 50 years. And every 50 years, they would blow the trumpet. And it would signify that the year of jubilee has come. That the sound would go out, that liberty would be proclaimed throughout the land, that the people would go back to their own houses, that they would be set free from servitude. The trumpet sounds, liberty goes out through the land. Now, to me, that is the sound of freedom. In, in Philadelphia, it is emblazoned on the liberty bell from Leviticus chapter 25. Let liberty be proclaimed throughout the land. That is the redeeming God who brings people that are in slavery back to himself, sets them free that they might uh, enjoy the liberty that there is in Christ. He did it at a price of his own son, his own son's blood. But he did it because he loved us with an everlasting love. And we'll, we'll sing a, a cl closing song, but I, I, I really don't want it to be, this is what we do in the service. This is our liturgy. This song is a confession of faith. It is the declaration that Jesus set me free. He broke my chains. And I'm wondering, you may have someone in your mind, you know that they're bound. And we're going to sing this song, uh, and maybe you're thinking of someone and you want to come forward and find a place of prayer for that person, that that, that would be true, that his or her chains would be broken. And maybe, maybe you yourself have been struggling with something and never found the freedom. And yet you hear his word and you hear it proclaimed and, you, and faith arises and you decide, I just need more of Jesus and I can be set free. You, you come and find a place. Pastor Jeff, Lord, we turn to you and we ask that the freedom of God would be ours. That you would do today what we haven't been able to do ever. That you would do something new and fresh in us. We thank and praise you that you shed your blood for us. That you called us. That you broke the power of sin and of death and of Satan. And you set us free. And we pray that, Lord God, you would make us a redeeming people, a people where the freedom of God is unleashed and those that we know that are bound 
would be set free. For this we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.